0: This is Sheldon Primus, the host of the Safety Consultant Podcast. During this time, we've all been tightening our belts because of COVID-19. I have been as well. Recently, I've found cost-effective alternative to some of the services and programs that I was using, such as email marketing, hosting services, and even one of my favorites, Teachable. Visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash resources for special offers to help you reduce your business overhead. If you're hosting a podcast or want to host a podcast, then visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash hosting for a knockout deal. Don't give up on your dream. Get smarter on the back end of your business.
1: This episode is powered by Safety FM.
0: Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the show where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. And this week, we're going to have special guests. And I say guests with an S because there's three of them. Brent Sutton, Glennis McCarthy, and Brent Robinson. They did a book together. And their book is one of those like really cool things that you could uh, pick up in Amazon and learn a little bit about the practice of learning teams. And uh, their book even had a forward written by Dr. Todd Kotlin. So the subtitle for that one is Learning and Improving Safety, Quality, and Operational uh, Excellence. So we actually, I'm going to break this up into two episodes and the reason why is because we went through a bunch Uh, so I really was uh, happy to talk to all three of them together at once and truly we uh, they were helping me to understand uh, learning teams and how to do it and my first idea and concept of it was thinking how to put it into the safety and health realm and uh, more and more as I was Listening to the conversation and we're talking about it. I'm like, hold on, this thing is going to go way past safety and health. Uh, you're probably going to see this in all aspects of the organization. You could do this in different sectors, and uh, I was really trying to, to to comprehend everything they were telling me. So in the first part, it's really giving you guys a little bit of um, the baseline, if you will, of what learning teams are and some of the applications. And uh, I was thinking more. Comp- And that's where we started. And then just a conversation started evolving so much so that uh, I had to break it into two groups. So this is going to be episode one of the learning team. And then we're going to do episode two of The Learning Team on a special day this week. We're going to do it on Thursday this week. Uh, you guys are going to have an opportunity to hear episode two. So uh, do stay tuned so you could hear both episodes uh, so you could get The Learning Team all in one week. And that's going to be something really great. So uh, we are going to listen to them in just a few seconds because I am not going to do our sponsor right now. We're going to go straight into Learning Teams this time. All right, so just strap in. And there will not be a tip of the week for either of these episodes. It's just going to be uh, me, the Learning Team, and then uh, we'll come back with the following episode. And then it's going to be me with the intro and the Learning Team. So strap in. (laughs)
1: thought Thinking Process: 1. **Analyze Hello, my name is Glynis McCarthy. Um, I'm an adult educator. I've been working in health and safety for about seven years now. Um, I'm particularly interested in worker engagement and what sort of practices that um, can facilitate uh, worker learning and um, worker consultation and uh, worker development um, and um, particularly around um, how do you get your workers to be really empowered when it comes to their knowledge and understanding of risk. How do they do safe practice?
0: Excellent, excellent. Glenn's, uh, <laughs> I was about to say Glennis, but I was, uh, I got to get the, the Brent's right. Brent Sutton.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll Brent Mark, too. Um, so, hi, audience or listeners. I'm Brent Sutton, and I'm a uh, risk practitioner and I've been working in the field of health and safety for about 18 years now, and, and I specialise in an area called human misery, uh, which is basically around uh, work, workplace fatalities and major harm. Oh. And I've been using uh, learning teams as part of my process to create a restorative environment when things go wrong in the workplace.
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh,
2: Brent uh, Robinson. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brent Robinson. Um,
3: I am a, I would call myself a um, continuous improvement advocate, so, or operational excellence advocate. So I came to learning teams about five years ago where we had a, a major incident in one of our operations in New Zealand and the first person I called was Brent. and. Um, we have been using that as a basis for improvement across a range of different um, opportunities in business, both safety and in, in the operation over the last five years. So that's how I came to it.
0: Excellent. And uh, for those that are listening that don't know, uh, they're not from the U.S. <laughs> it seems like we have Australia and New Zealand represented here. That's excellent. We're
3: actually, we're actually old Kiwis at
0: some point. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother. I remember uh, my family had uh, exchange students along the way. We had a uh, German exchange students, French exchange student, and we did have Andrew uh, from New Zealand, and he uh, effectively was called Kiwi. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I don't even know his last name to this day.
2: Look,
0: <laughs> well, he probably lives next door to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're a small village. Sorry, Yeah, Glennis, uh, are you? Irish, or in any way, it seems like a name like that. May to me, it seems like it's it's almost like uh, like from uh, Europe as opposed to Australia. Or is that really, or, or I should say New Zealand? Since you said you're you're originally from that area, do is that a popular name there? Um,
1: so my parents are Welsh, so I'm really lucky that I'm Glimnist Margaret Thomas is my maiden name. A very nice. Welsh name it could have been a lot worse there are some Welsh female names that perhaps wouldn't have been quite as good um, so I've got um, we're, we're quite a multicultural family so my husband is originally from Amer- from England and then lived in Australia so swears like a trooper but it's yeah. I got my oldest daughter was born in Australia, and my youngest daughter was born in Germany. And when we travel, we go out in a myriad of passports.
0: Oh, no kidding. I would imagine that. That might be a nightmare with all the different uh, passports represented there.
1: Well, thankfully, when you're a New Zealander, it's really good. You can get a New Zealand passport, and we're pretty much, for the most part, welcome in most countries. So, um, Although we all do have different nationalities, we can all go out on the same passport.
0: Oh, yeah, excellent. Not bad. I the reason why I was thinking that is uh, my wife also has... Has a friend in New Zealand named Glennis, but she was from, um, uh, I believe, Ireland, and then her family immigrated over there. So that's what got me thinking about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, not bad. There's
1: not so many Glennis around. Well. I get called all sorts of things. <laughs> um, but. You know, it's, it, Like I say, there could have been some other Welsh names that my parents could have chosen. Um, and some of them are quite hard to pronounce. Some of them are horrifically hard to spell. Um, so I didn't do so badly.
0: Oh, excellent. Well, uh, from listening to the Jay Allen show with you guys, I know that you've been friends for a while. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, so I'm going to represent the team and tell us a little bit of how you guys met.
3: Brent and I met at um, high school. That's how long and how far it goes back. I think we're on the different sides of the
2: playground back then, weren't we, Brent? Two different groups. Yeah, very much. I mean, it's such a long time ago, Sheldon, that everything was black and white back then. (laughs) In terms of, yeah, so all the memories I have are very, very old.
0: No man, I would imagine, especially from high school to now, I'm like... um, I was class of seven, uh, excuse me. I was born in 71, but the class of 89. So we're right at that, um, 30 something year uh, of, of, uh, being, being like, you know, a, a graduating class. So. It, things have changed quite a bit since then, so I'm not too sure what your, your class is there, but I would imagine it probably runs the same, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly
2: right. Exactly right. And then, uh, Glennis and I, uh, met, uh, <laughs> seven, eight years ago? Yeah, really? About seven, eight years ago. Hmm. And and basically, we've corrupted and from um, across to this side of the world. <laughs>
0: so, corrupted. I like your, your choice of words there. Well,
2: okay. okay. oh, safety's all about corrupting, isn't
0: it? Yes. <laughs> corrupting and selling and marketing, right? It, it's just about oh. everything we do is, you know, where we kind of sell and sell and then sell some more. <laughs> so that's that's. Part
2: of it, right? it was really interesting from my point of view because um, I, I had uh, just, um, uh, I just uh, sold my business as part of a, a multinational buyout uh-huh. and um, I was looking to try and do something a little bit different from a safety point of view and I, I met Glynis with uh, an organisation that specialised in workforce literacy and numeracy and, and this whole notion of... Uh, the effect of literature numeracy in the workplace and how it affects safety has been really quite pivotal for us going forward. Oh. Because, you know, people talk about um, competency, they talk about, you know, training. Yeah, there are lots of barriers that workers face. Yep. And you know, health and safety is so predicated on uh, systems and documentation.
0: Yeah, and when you say uh, competencies, are you thinking more of the competencies that came out of the Singapore Accord, or are you thinking more of uh, competencies in another, in another realm?
1: Really about the competencies that somebody needs to be able to do a job safely and proficiently. The, what is the knowledge and the skills, the behaviors, the attitudes, the aptitudes that someone needs to have to be able to do that job safely? And then how does the system that they work in support either good practice or or how does it detract from good practice? Um, I very much agree with your comment before that so much of health and safety is around marketing. And if marketing has got to be successful, we need to think of our audience. We need to think who are we pitching this information for, the sales pitch for. Uh So a lot of what Brent and I did when we worked previously together was thinking about how do you do that to a diverse workforce? in a a workforce that may have language barriers or literacy barriers and so a lot of the practice that I do is around how do you communicate often complex ideas to
0: diverse workforces. Oh excellent, excellent. It's not about
2: intelligence, it's about the ability of the worker to sort of comprehend and understand
0: what's being asked often. Yeah. Uh, Robinson, did you have some, sir?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, where I've seen it is we've got to take into account that we're dealing with, you know, workers from a lot of different backgrounds, you know, so a really in the businesses I'm involved and there's a cultural diversity as well that we need to take into account when we're working with them. And typically they hold the answers, right? They're, they're the people that are doing the work every day that um, they hold the answers to what we're trying to trying to get to. What the, you know, from an individual's point of view that we're trying to understand, but also from an organizational um, understanding of the work that's going on. Yeah. So, you know, I think... Um, and
0: they they hold the competency in a lot of respects. Yeah, and the reason why I was uh, was bringing up competency in the the realm of the Singapore um, uh, Accord, which uh, some of you may have an idea of, some of you may not, but it's really exactly what they're saying. What would it take for you to be a safety and health uh, officer? What are some of the things that you need to learn? And right now, you're looking at, there's so many different trends in safety and health, and if you don't have the Right person that knows these things, you're setting them up. <laughs> you're setting up for for quite a quite a failure, and uh, that's my that's my uh, humble opinion. Is therefore you got to match the person's competency with the position, and then now you've got a micro and a macro version of this as well for the whole organization to be functional. And is that uh, what started the the learning team idea behind that, or is it something else that got you guys sparked on the learning teams?
2: Uh, look, I, I think, uh, I, I suppose once again, uh, it all started, uh, and we sort of talked briefly about it with, with Jay, but it all started because I had, I was asked to come along to, to see this uh, American guy talk about this, this concept called learning to act and I, I the question I asked do I have to pay money for this and the guy said oh no no I've got a free ticket for you to come along I said well look I've got nothing better to do so what? let's go along and, and hear this guy and and Todd comes out on stage mm-hmm. and his, his opening line is you know never, never mix a, a laxative and a sleeping pool together <laughs> and, and I'm thinking this is going to be a really really good conversation yeah yeah because this guy is basically off a whole different tangent and through his discussion that he had, a lot of what Todd said just resonated with me quite deeply. From the, from a the point of view that um, you know, workers hold the knowledge. Uh, you know, we've got to get people, you know, we've been with group problem solving. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. we're so focused on fixing things at the moment that we forget that actually understanding the problem will lead to the fix rather than simply moving to the fix itself. All these things he talked about were really powerful. But he spoke about that within the context of HOP, of deep and operational performance. Yeah. And learning teams was sort of talked about off to the side. But I really wanted to get much more stuck into what learning teams meant. Uh Because uh, like everything else, Sheldon, um, a lot of organizations are always chasing the new shiny toy. And we have this conversation about things like safety too, safety differently, op, um, Mm -hmm. uh, human factors, BBS, all, all these new things. But the thing that attracted us to learning teams is that learning teams is about worker engagement. Uh And learning teams is about what can the organisation learn? How can it learn from opportunities? And more importantly, how can workers learn from those opportunities? Because if we don't look for opportunities, how can we learn and improve? Yeah. So, we saw learning teams as being completely agnostic to the system. It doesn't matter what system the organisation works on, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what those beliefs are, learning is a fundamental
0: tenet of how organisations develop. Yeah, absolutely. And for, uh, I'm an instructor at heart. So truly, when I get a hold of students, and I teach two classes uh, one is a management class for safety professionals, and then the other one is. A class where I'm teaching boots on the ground safety. So people that actually have to go out there and do the job safety analysis and all those shiny whistle things that you just talked about, they're the ones that actually have to do that work from day to day. Uh, So those are the two classes that I I really teach with. So when I think of a learning team and I think of the application as you're saying, uh, truly that's when you have to think, safety is part of the heart of an operation of an organization and if it's not and if you don't think of it as an organizational culture as opposed to a a separate safety culture uh, then you might end up getting yourself uh, dog wagging the tail or tail wagging the dog I should say in that scenario where you're constantly trying to catch up to something that's happened so from what I'm hearing you're saying a learning team could help you stop that frenetic roundabout roundabout and you go and you completely dissect and analyze and get to the heart of an issue and you do it on the line level is that uh, how I'm hearing this
2: Uh, Yeah, we do it both at the line level, but we also do it at other levels within the organisation as well because um, I think there's there's, there's two parts of it. Um, The organisation learns by looking for change. Uh Did you call that an investigation? Whether you call that a review, whether you call that an observation, all those things are looking for change. And what the organisation is seeing is they're seeing a macro change. That makes sense. Yeah. Because they're looking the difference between something from from before and something now, and they're seeing the difference between those two components. Yeah. But that's not how workers learn to improve. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And workers are learning every day by simply how they interface in the system they have to live in and and the hazards they're exposed to. Is that learning intentional or is it a byproduct of being present? And what a learning team does, it turns learning into a deliberate action. Whereas at the moment, most of the learning that happens is incidental, uh-huh. happens as a result of something. And what workers can do by, by making that learning intentional, then those are changes or adaptions or, or variations that they're incurring every day, which is what they're embedding into themselves, as uh-huh. a the learning team, what can happen is the organization can now start to gather some business intelligence from that information but they can then view things in a macro way by looking at what's happening at that micro type level. So we all know that when we investigate it comes as no surprise to at, that work has imagined how the organization prescribed work and work has done
0: was different. Yeah. Because that's what investigation basically does. Hmm. So I'm hearing a few things. Nope. Oh, sorry, did I uh, step over you there? All right. So from what I'm hearing there, um, it seems like, especially if you're you're thinking of how how the interaction is with when there's an issue, when there's something that happened in the organization. It's always some sort of reactive action. So therefore, you guys are teaching people, stop doing that. (laughs) Don't be so reactive. Let's do this thing purposefully. And therefore, we might even be able to have... For me, what I'm thinking is you'll have even the benefit of being proactive so that now you could not have pressure on you to perform, to come up with a solution, to come up with an answer. And if you're doing this more proactively, then in turn, it's actually going to lead the system by repeating things that are currently working well and then uh, predicting if you see a failure coming. Is that uh, how we're looking at this? I think those, those things are aligning. Um one
3: of the things I wanted to say just a little earlier on is that, you know, you're talking about the safety professional or what uh-huh. how they were having to adapt and change to you know the environments in different locations and, and different industries and really it's about the, one of the tools that they're going to put in their toolkit is to be a facilitator and this is about facilitation you know so often you'll come across different um, people in safety and they'll either be like parking inspector where they're telling you you're doing it wrong or they can be like the facilitator to understand what what the work is doing why they, why they might be making that decision and really helping you know getting a group of people together to say well you know this is, as Brent said this is what they're the um organization thought you're going to do uh-huh. work as imagined and here's what we're finding you're doing tells why you're doing that and it's not a it's not a um accusation that's not it's really about trying to tease out what those differences are between those two points and i think you know I've come from a world of where lean has been put into many organizations and you know you see exactly the same sort of thing but you know you keep going to the people doing the work and you build that culture where they'll spend some time with you to explain to you you're not coming out there to check are you doing it right you're going out there to understand more about it and then can we use that that knowledge
0: and that experience to grow across the organization. Yeah. Galenis, uh, did you have uh, something that you want to add?
1: Um, I'm just going to say, um, as an instructor at heart myself, like yourself, um, I think the most valuable time that you get learning that really takes place is when you can, can co-construct. And that's when the person who is leading that instruction, that that, that training that's taking place or that learning that's taking place, um, can really participate with those people that are, um, are present so that the, the light bulbs go off. And I think that's really what Learning Teams provides an opportunity for. So I think that what you get is true um, opportunity of learning and reflection of practice. And I think that that's incredibly valuable both for the, the worker, because they get to look and see what's aiding in practice, what's detracting from, from good practice, but also from the organizational point of view. So they really get to see in kind of real time, what's working. So what are the things that they think that they are doing to support the practice? And what are those? What are those things that are working as they intended, and those things that perhaps have an unintended consequence? So it sits really nicely in that framework where workers are part of the solution. Um, and for me, it is about true facilitation of learning, so that you are co-constructing what it is that you're trying to understand.
0: Wow, that's that's really a powerful thought process behind it because to me what I'm thinking in order to make that work would be a great deal of trust a great deal of humility for all levels of the organization uh, listening skills as well and then also just truly some sort of system in place that will allow everyone to feel empowered to let this thing grow and that's that's challenging in some organizations they, they have turf wars if you will as opposed to we're in this together so uh it seems like from what I'm hearing here you guys uh if, if if there are certain industries that benefit from, from this or not uh, maybe it's those industries to me yeah, I think everyone can outside of safety from what I'm hearing this this seems to me that it's gonna transcend safety and health uh, and be more organizational but uh, but it seems like you guys really must must teach the trust component and and uh, and all the other things that that is underlining to exactly what you're saying over there am i correct Am thinking that, or is it? Am I breaking it down too too difficultly? <laughs> is it more simple than than I'm thinking?
2: No, look, I, I think the thing about trust is is, is is trust is something that doesn't just happen. So, so the thing about learning teams is that the people that participated are valued because their their differences, their diversity, their diversity of thought and their diversity of function is valued within the learning team itself and if someone feels valued then that leads to respect, you build respect, respect builds to trust in that way. So, So for us a learning team the objective is not to gain trust because trust happens as a result of the participation of the individuals. A facilitator needs to provide an environment so that those people are able to participate and and that their voice can be heard. Whether it's a little voice or a big voice, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. If they feel that they're able to participate in some way, that they're seen as the expert in the work
0: that they do, that changes the whole dynamic. Uh, What has been some of the drivers that lead people to wanting to experience a learning team?
3: I think it's looking for a different outcome, you know. uh, One of the experiences that we've had recently is we had a machine fire, and the initial investigation came out was that if the worker had just done what they meant to have done, it wouldn't have happened. When we dug down a bit deeper, because that just didn't seem right, Yeah. when we dug down a bit deeper, there was many factors. And it led all the way back to that maintenance wasn't being done on the equipment. So oil was being sprayed in places that had never been sprayed before. And that came down to a management decision to drop back on the preventative maintenance. And you know, which was about you know reducing SGNA or any of those things that would have to do in a, in a business, and it was really teasing that out over a period of time in a very, very um, culturally diverse workforce, you know, and so it, it took some time to do it, and it was really important that we we went through the process and then gave them some time to you know uh, we call it soak time, but to reflect on what we'd discovered. It was not about blaming anybody. It was just about getting a better outcome for everybody. And, you know, and other people see that and that becomes a really powerful driver to go, oh, boy, that's so much better than the five whys we did that we only got down to three whys instead of five. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's so funny because when people start thinking about uh, instant investigations and they say the five whys, I'm like, do you know that each time you find an answer to that, it'll branch itself out to another five or four? And then those answers each will branch out to more. <laughs> they think it's just five. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> there's more than that. <laughs> I get a little trouble because I, uh, I you know, we use
3: five wise and several businesses have been involved in and I think it's a, a nice, quick, simple way of doing it, but it doesn't give you the full context of everything that's going on because you end up taking everybody down a path of the, of the original eye and you can lose a lot of other really valuable learning on the sides of that.
1: It's often because we use them as a a, kind of a, I think we use them a little bit too early on in the process. I think they work well as a validation tool, but often we're using them as a kind of a problem identification tool. And that's why, as you've said, Sheldon, it kind of takes you off into all of these tangents. Um, And each one, you sort of, you start to kind of get into a quagmire with. Um, Going back to your question, um, Sheldon, I think that learning teams is really gaining some traction because for a lot of organisations, they're just finding that their current methodologies are just not giving them enough. And so they are, again, if I take um, Brent's, um, example, you know, they lead to a person that, you know, potentially that th- they're going to blame that, you know, that this person has not followed the rule. Um, but there's so many more things that might sit in behind why was that rule not being adhered to. And I think what learning teams does is it gives people an opportunity to reflect on practice. Um, so it gives people an opportunity to see what was working, what wasn't, what were the things that they could grab hold of, what were the things that sort of were slipping away from them in the moment that that incident was occurring and looking to see what of those contributing factors. Um, and it gives a much sort of rich, detailed picture of what was really good going on. Um, and so I think that certainly organizations here in New Zealand and in Australia, and by the looks of it in America, that you know many organizations are looking to find something that gives much more nuance.
0: Yeah, and there's that's a, a, an excellent point because it makes me start thinking of a few things that that will lead down the path where you know there's some some organizations that they're really just looking for the pilot error syndrome. You know, dude did this, you're out of here. <laughs> but then truly, there's other where you're you're doing something such as the James Reason's uh, swiss cheese model, or you might do a fishbone or, or something similar to that, but the just culture part, or, or maybe even uh, the part where you have a diminishing culpability model, which well, I believe is also James Reason, but um, but the diminishing culpability model means you had an infraction, but you're not going to have a consequence that is going to be like someone else who had sabotage. they meant to do this. Someone else may have just had we found out through our exhaustive practice that we didn't train you well (laughs) and it's not you it's me (laughs) and in those cases if there is a culpability that needs to be done that person will get less culpable if it's punitive hopefully not but it might be something that's going to hold them accountable like retraining or something similar to that Uh, is the outcome of a learning team in any way combined to be anything that will have some sort of the um, diminishing culpability model or something similar to that?
2: Uh, well, look, the short answer is that it, 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 it can be. I think the difference here is, um, uh, we talk about three modes of learning teams. So there are, there are learning teams that you conduct as part of a post-event process. There are learning teams that you conduct as part of management of change, and there are learning teams that you conduct as part of everyday work. So so when we think about learning teams in response to post-event, where a learning team becomes very powerful is that it's based around a restorative process, not a retributive process. So so the focus there is not how did the person participate in the system, but how did the system support a, a good outcome for the workers. And we don't shy away, and we talk about it in the book, There's not a problem around accountability and responsibility. But the difference here is with a learning team, accountability is by the people who were part of the event, participate in the problem identification. The responsibility part is the people that participated in the event to then be part of the solution and how to learn and improve. Corrective actions, which is a typical outcome of an investigation. I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I've never had a work incident to me. I really enjoyed that corrective action. Okay. In a learning team, they say I really learnt, I really enjoyed what happened. I learned so much from that learning team. So, what we talk about is that where do these opportunities for learnings actually exist? And when you investigate, the opportunity for learning is only from an organisation's perspective. I seldom ever see an opportunity for a worker to learn from investigation. No, you're going to enjoy this investigation. No, you're going to feel valued. You're going to feel wanted. Yeah. You're going to come out the back end of it rejoicing and becoming an advocate for safety. Yay! <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and just to make sure, we'll send you on more training because obviously the training didn't work the last time. And and training sadly has become a punishment tool. Yeah. Which is not its intention. So so what a learning team does is a learning team gets gets an organisation to understand where do those opportunities for learning come from and when we engage in those opportunities, whether it be for five minutes or 90 minutes, it doesn't really matter how long, we have to ask ourselves what can workers learn from this and what can the organisation learn? And if we put just culture aside, Uh how about a learning culture?
0: Yeah,
2: is 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 an improvement based on learning and reflection isn't that the concept of continuous improvement yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. so we're saying you know it doesn't really matter what what culture you want to have or what culture you're coming from Uh or what systems you've applied uh, learning is learning
0: yeah and that's great because truly, um, at that time period, then what you've created is a leading indicator versus a lagging indicator. And now, if you want to even do a reward system on the leading indicator for you know the health of the organization, the health of safety, or the health of even process and management, as a learning team can actually be a leading indicator. So you're you are proactive in that way, and that that seems like something that could even you could even reward if you will. Uh, and get behind that system. Is that, uh, is that taking it too far? Uh, rewarding participation?
2: Uh, well, it comes back to what does a worker fare? how does what does the worker uh, get from participating? What Do you think when well, it's a learning
1: team? Yeah, to be honest, I um, I haven't thought about it in terms of a kind of a reward. Um, Process um, uh, talking to workers who have participated in learning teams across the sort of everyday to. Management of change to sort of post incident. Um, what I've what I've found is that workers say that it was an opportunity to hear how they do things, but through different lenses, through different perspectives. So they've gained an enormous amount of insight into how how their job sort of works upstream and downstream. But often they they're, they're not one hundred percent sure of um, that. They get a, a much more sort of robust understanding of, of how their role fits into a bigger scheme of work. Um, So I found that some of those intrinsic rewards are probably in and of themselves more value than an 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 extrinsic um, reward.
3: Yeah. I think it's being valued as a member of the team and improving the system that they work with. And and that's the outcome that I've seen. And I was going to talk about... You know, when we're talking to people about this process, we talk about that the system is filed. It's a failure of the system, not of the people. You know, we haven't built enough capability into that system for when there is a failure that um, it doesn't stop the system or, or people get injured. And, I, and you know, I work in both manufacturing and in construction, and we do a lot of um, documentation about how we think something can go wrong. But one of the, you know, one of the many issues you'll see in that particular industry is that we're not reviewing it all the time and we're not getting that that feedback, and that's where we can use an everyday learning team to help improve that system that we're developing. That system of work, whether it's putting a facade on a on a building or it's um, putting doors and windows in a building, it doesn't matter. And that's where I, I see that lean and, or not lean, but operational excellence and safety are, are converging because you're making the system safer, but you're also improving the performance of the system as a whole. And you know, once you engage people, I think they feel very much better. Value, that their input is actually taken into it. It's not some engineer sitting a thousand kilometers away and said this is the way you should do it.
0: I think that's that's you know that's what I'm seeing with the, how people value it. Yeah excellent I I I guess my mind also goes into like BF skinner mode and I think of operant conditioning <laughs> in this that's just you know a little bit of my 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 safety management brain you know just kinda going against the green there with with the learning team. And being, because uh, truly I would imagine you would probably have to sit each level of organization down, talk to them about the expectations of a learning team, and then start, you know, uh, maybe reverse programming what we already <laughs> start thinking of. And I don't know if that's by different cultures or if that's just a safety as a whole, because I know American culture versus European culture versus African versus Latin American. You probably have different organizational, uh, just the way that the organization works and operates and function it together. So can people in the learning team environment, is this good across all different uh, styles, if you will? Yeah, uh, an example, at Auckland, we have
2: 89 uh, different cultures in our workforce in Auckland, 89 different cultures. Wow. Liz and I were were, were at a client last night um, uh, observing their their, their night shift and they were producing bagels. And there there probably would have been six or eight different cultures just present where uh, English was a second, third or fourth language amongst this uh, this group. Wow. The, The thing about a learning team is that um, we don't have to create much expectation up front. We simply say that we're going to conducting a learning team to understand what makes us successful in what we do. It's really interesting. Huh. That's it. Wow. We're getting together to understand what does good look like. Yeah. And we want to hear... And people are coming along and they're sharing their stories with us. That's all they're doing. It's a dialogue. It's an interesting form of dialogue. Sharing stories. Or, uh, what you might say is, we have a campfire without burning the building down. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you,
0: they would frown on that in safety. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no a hazard. You can't, you can't, you can't do it. You can have the marshmallows, no sharp sticks, no fire.
0: Yeah, s'mores. You got to have at least some s'mores, right? <laughs> Correct.
2: Absolutely. I'll do that. Um, so, so what's interesting is that uh, what we've found, depending on the type of uh, organization that you're involved with, in, um, a lot of people try to understand what is the process that's being followed. Because what we're doing is something that's so different to what's been done before. Saying, well, no, there's got to be something behind it. But in fact, there's not. It's just about weaving a dialogue Mm -hmm. and getting context for what's actually happening within that. Now, the issue here, uh, Sheldon, is that a learning team is very much centered around the capability of the facilitator. And uh, we, uh, you mentioned the Singapore Accord, I mean for us competency is is an everyday activity. Um, uh, Both Buenos Aires are very lucky, we also teach, I teach the Diploma in Safety in New Zealand as well. Um, And what's interesting is that most of the competency frameworks for health and safety practitioners have been evolved around technical subject matter. And a lot of those things lack soft
0: skills. Uh-huh.
2: And a learning team is all about soft skill. Because health and safety people, we are, are driven by being an expert in an area and we are driven as being a solver of a problem. Yeah. Whereas a learning team, your job is to be a facilitator to get collaboration, to encourage communication. You're not there as an expert. So what we typically find is that there's a whole raft of soft skills um, that, that need to exist to be good. Yeah. Now the best part is you can build those skills. You talked about listing as a really good example. Uh-huh. Um, you now the, the, the thing about a learning team, is that the facilitator needs to be listening to the group to make sure we're getting a flow going?
0: That sounds like the it's facilitator
2: really. Facilitator isn't there to
0: judge mm-hmm. the information mm-hmm. being received. And that opens it up, I guess. So uh, when, if there's a competent facilitator, it's almost like a pitch and catch scenario where the the person in the learning team or even the persons as they're going through this uh, they might get stuck and then the facilitator could help kick start another vein of thought or the facilitator might be able to to get behind what's truly being said if the group's going around and around in circle is that uh, my understanding of what you're saying there as far as a, a good uh, facilitator for a learning team
1: This episode has been powered by Safety FM.